Hello and welcome to Aaron Wood's IP Show, where I interview top guests from around the world and get their unique perspectives. My name is Aaron Wood and I use my years of experience in the field to get deep into what matters most. Thanks for joining us. Our guest today is Christopher Lees of Bentley Clothing. Some of you will have heard about the dispute between Bentley the car brand and Bentley the clothes brand, but you haven't heard the half of it. Chris joined me to talk about the case, to fill us in on the story behind the story, and to tell us about those things that IP lawyers maybe don't tell their clients about, and of course what it's like being a litigant in person. So Chris, take me back to when this all started. When when was that? Yeah, hi Aaron. Um, <clears throat> It started in 1998. Um, my family had, or my dad, as it was then, had a reasonable-sized group of clothing companies. And we lost the group, which was an absolute disaster. Um, we managed to reacquire our Bentley clothing brand, which had been part of the group. Bentley, under us, used to do five million a year sales across the UK and Ireland. It had registered trademarks, we had um, a sales agent team of about 12 or so agencies across the UK. Um, it was a very real uh, clothing brand that had been established in 1962 and obviously named after its founder, Gerald Bentley, who my dad had bought the brand from in 1990. <clears throat> so we'd owned Bentley clothing since 1990. Um, and now it was 1998. And we'd had a family disaster where we'd lost the rest of the clothing group. And about two months or so later, it was in the newspapers that Volkswagen had bought the car brand Bentley Motors. And the press said, um, you know, Bentley Motors then was a, um, I mean, we know this anyway, that, that Rolls-Royce was the, the jewel in the crown. Bentley Motors then was nothing like the Bentley Motors that it is now. I think it's I think it's about twenty times bigger as a in terms of sales value than it was back then. <clears throat> so the press said Volkswagen would have the work cut out to change around the fortunes of a long suffering car brand. Right. And and we said we should write to Volkswagen to to explain who we are and say perhaps by doing clothing, it might help you um, develop your car brand. And we knew it wouldn't, you know, obviously cars is what really matters to them. But we thought clothing might help them to promote the car brand. And it also might be a nice revenue stream. Right. So this so, was your idea, effectively. They, they hadn't come onto the market. You, you, you took it, you know, you, you took the initiative. Well, well I, I'm not clear on what the facts are and, and what Bentley Motors claim. Um, we won't agree on, on, I don't agree with everything they say, but what's very clear is they weren't really doing clothing in 1998 and they certainly weren't putting our trademark on the clothing. So, um, you know, they, they barely had an existence in clothing of any sort, let alone using the trademark Bentley. Right. And, and to be honest, we, we didn't know. I'd never heard Bentley Motors even mentioned in the history of our business they would not have thought in our minds at all, ever. Um, 
but it was now that and it was now that our circumstances had changed dramatically because we'd lost the clothing group, mm-hmm. the larger group with all the employees. Um, but their circumstances had changed dramatically because they'd been taken over by Volkswagen. So this was a good so opportunity. To the, this, well, to us it seemed, I mean, I, I always say to people, they're not wrong to not go ahead with our proposal. That's an, they have, Obviously, they have the right to choose what's right, what they want to do, what's right for them. So just to step so you meet with them. Um, and, and well, nothing, it, well initially I wrote... Yeah, that's right. But initially, I wrote to the CEO of Volkswagen, you know, Peach, and he was also a director of Bentley Motors. So, so the the real initial, the real story begins with my letter to Ferdinand Peach, the CEO of Volkswagen, who had newly acquired Bentley Motors, and I was proposing that we would do a deal on the trademarks so that they could Bentley Motors, that is could move into clothing and we were saying if you want our help we're happy to help but you know you don't need to have our help if you if you don't you know we made no demands about being involved um, in the process we were just suggesting we could do a deal on the trademarks Mm -hmm. and we were explaining that i mean it's an interesting aside we were we had a a countrywear brand that was sold in harrods and barnish new york and other places um, we had several brands of our own. We were big suppliers to lots of UK brands and retailers. And we were probably the main, in fact, I think we were the main men's coat supplier to Burberry. When Burberry wanted to offshore, they asked us to arrange all the production for the offshore facility. We used to design coats for Burberry. I think we were the main men's coat supplier to Burberry, designed, manufactured, and sourced. So if you think Burberry's a more luxury brand than Bentley Motors, which I think some people do, then it's arguable that we've also dealt in more luxurious products than Bentley Motors have. So, so in um, fact, if, if they'd given you a license, no one would have blinked an eye. It would have been completely normal. No, totally. It could have been. I mean, this is how my dad's always worked. It could have been a... a I mean, I've heard my dad say to me many, many times, good business is about doing things that are good on for everybody. And you all benefit, and it makes business sense. And this could have made business sense to Bentley Motors and Volkswagen, and it would have made sense for us. Mm. So everybody could have been happy. But the deal and, didn't and happen. We think, no. What happened is we had a meeting at Bentley Motors head office. Volkswagen, uh, I mean, we had a few conversations with Volkswagen with an in-house lawyer, um, a man called Guido Peters, um, who were passed down by Volkswagen to Bentley Motors. And we had a meeting at Bentley Motors' head office with their in-house lawyer and company secretary. We took, at their request, we took them uh, numerous articles of our Bentley clothing, our historic Bentley clothing. We did wonder why they wanted to see it. (laughs) And we left it with them. We even left it with them for several months, if I recall correctly. Um, But no, nothing came of it. And uh, we collected our stuff. and. And we forgot all about them. Um, we the thought they were a bit odd to deal with. No, it was for a while. But then <clears throat> what happened is um, in 2004, Bentley Motors applied to register the trademark Bentley for clothing in the UK. So that was the same as our trademark. 
And so now they were back on our radar. Right. And they go. And so at that point, were you, so at that point, you, as far as you knew, they were, were they, you didn't know they were selling anything at that point? Not, not until, we didn't know what they were doing until it was in 2004 that everything changed. And um, the fact that they applied to register the trademark bought them back on our radar. Um, we've, we've looked into things. We saw that they were using the trademark. We saw that they'd set up a website um, and they were using our trademark. And to be frank, it was a massive shock. I, I couldn't believe what they'd done, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was gobsmacked. So did, you, did you write to them at the time? Did you go straight, go straight we, into it? We spoke to our lawyers, which were Marks and Clark, and and they wrote, it wasn't an off-the-cuff opinion, they wrote a report for us. They looked at the evidence, wrote a considered report, and that report said, um, we think you'd win if you were to sue Bentley Motors. And they said, we think you'll win. And uh, But they said, you will need at least half a million pounds to sue. Wow. Um, and we were, at that stage, we were a tiny company. We couldn't possibly afford half a million pounds. So we couldn't sue. Right. But, did now, you, to, but you went off the trademark at that point, this, this new application? We, we told Bentley Motors in writing. We, I mean, there was numerous exchanges, letters, lawyers to lawyers and so on, which actually lasted about two years or so. Um, and within those exchanges, we said, we will oppose your application and, and we'll win. Um, and we said, you know, we offered a deal to you in, in 1998. If you're still interested, we still think the same thing. It makes sense. So we're happy to, to do a deal like we suggested back then. Right. Um, now that led to meetings with Bentley Motors. Again, Bentley Motors met us at our trademark attorney's office. Um, that was their then general counsel, a man called Andrew Armitage. Uh, then we went for a follow-up meeting at Bentley Motors' head office with Andrew Armitage again. And, and in the context that he had actually suggested to us that perhaps you could give us a license. That's what he said to us in the meeting in our lawyer's office. And perhaps you could give us, Bentley Motors, a license to use your trademark. Absolutely. So we agreed to a follow-up meeting. Yeah. Pardon? Okay. I mean, from, from where I'm sat, you know, you've got a registration. They want to do it. It's the same mm -hmm. mark. I mean, you've got yeah, two choices. Right. You either don't do it or you take a license or you buy the mark. Those are your options. Or, of course, what they could have done is carried on with their application to register the trademark. Because if we, if we were just people sitting on a trademark and not using it, we first contacted them in 1998, and now it's 2000 and initially four, but now this went on to about 2007, I think. So if we'd not been using, if we'd not been selling clothing under Bentley, and they carried on with their application, we'd have been put to proof of use and we would have lost, wouldn't we? Because we'd not have sold clothing for over five years. Right. So at this point, you but, weren't. So doing it's interesting. No, we we were yes. Oh, we right. were selling. We had. Right. Yeah, that's right. So they knew, we, we were selling clothing. Known, they must have known you were using or throughout. Well, you would suspect. Well, we first of all we told them we were selling. We gave them details about what we were doing. But furthermore, I mean, it would look to a, a neutral party that they knew because otherwise, surely you would continue with the application. Just put us to proof of use. Mm. 
So and registered they, the trademark. So they, they did they withdraw their trademark? Is that what happened? They withdrew the application. Right. Okay. They, they wrote many years later in one of our in, in one of their attacks on our trademark. Um, they wrote that they withdrew that application to save costs. <laughs> didn't work. I'm out sure costs would. No, it didn't. But I'm also I'm sure that those costs were big concerns to a company that size. Well, I mean, I guess if if you're you know, we don't we don't know how many at the. Well, I guess you know you're probably f- finding out now some of it, but I guess it, you don't know how many were being sold at the time. It could have been a massive license. It could have been a small license. Who who knows what it would would have involved for them? But yeah, so you just I mean, so you so so just going back. So you've they've withdrawn the application, but as far as you know, they're they're still selling at that point. Um, or did you not know? Yeah, I think we must. Have, I mean, I can't remember. Yeah, we oh, must okay. have been aware because we'd, we'd become aware in two thousand four five. So we must. Have, I mean, I don't remember now, but we must have still been aware all the time we were talking to them. Right. And these exchanges went on for, like I say, it was about two years, something like that. Um, and we made at their request, we made a license proposal. Andrew Armitage asked us to make a license. Andrew Armitage being their general secretary, uh, general counsel and company secretary. He asked us to make a license proposal and that's what we did. So we proposed a license agreement where Bentley Motors would have exclusive use of our trademarks. And again, we said, we don't need to be involved at all, but we are, you know, we do have a lot of experience in the clothing industry. And if you want any help, we are very happy to give you our help. Mm-hmm. Right? So it sounds then, as if obviously they they rejected that the trademark's gone. You can see they're still selling, but as you've said, there was this issue of like you you'd been told half a million quid to to go after them. Mm-hmm. Presumably that was just and we couldn't do that. No, no, so that's what, right. Because so so that stage. No, mm-hmm. so go on, go on. Sorry. Well, I mean, they they rejected our proposal. Uh, basically, said you do your thing and we'll do ours, and they just carried on. They just carried on using our trademark. In fact, they obviously developed the range. They they went on to give licenses to other companies to use the Bentley trademark on clothing in the UK. Our trademark. Yeah, exactly. And knowing of our trademark and even appearing to accept its legitimacy because they withdrew their own attempt in the face of our opposition. They withdrew their attempt to register the trademark but they carried on using our trademark. In fact, they went further and further into using our trademark. And the icing on the cake for us is they didn't just use the trademark. Now, there's the issue about using Bentley together with the Bean Wings, and obviously they're not allowed to do that. But they used the trademark on its own as a word. And even under the instructions of the CEO of the firm. Right. After we sent a letter to the boss of their firm trying to sort out the dispute, he apparently told his employees to use just the word Bentley on some items of clothing. Now, they attached ticketing to their clothing that was sold in the UK. This was clothing ticketing, and it said Bentley is a registered trademark of Bentley Motors Limited. Right. Well, as in the word mark, they're suggesting the word mark was registered. It's, it said Bentley 
and the being wings. And this is on an item with the two trademarks, Bentley and the being wings. Right. So as the High Court judge said in his decision, there was even a false claim of ownership of the trademark. Right. Our trademark. Absolutely. So just to just to jump back a second. So um mm. so obviously they they filed first trademark, they withdraw that, they keep using and if I understand correctly, they went back and they read, they tried to register again. Um, don't hold me to the number of times, <laughs> but they've tried to register the trademark several times. Right. right? A combination of either just the UK or, or an EU application. They've tried several times to register the trademark. And you ended up opposing in the UK, didn't you? Is that right? Yes. Yes. So, so, how, so what was that like? There's been an occasion where... Because you were, did you have lawyers at the time, or were you at that point were you doing it yourself? Um, it's just been so much having more lawyers <laughs> get all the details. There was there was a time when they applied to register the trademark, and we opposed it, and without taking it any further, they withdrew. But then they applied again, wow. just a short while later. But this time, when they applied again, they used an attorney who used to act for us against them. Wow. Cool. And that was that was over one of... But ultimately, what happened is our business was crushed. Our business had been utterly crushed. Um, we've not been able to grow the business at all, um, which I can... I'll avoid the details for now, but I'm yeah, happy to give you. No, um, no, we don't need that. <laughs> the business crushed. Gosh. Then, to try and circumvent the problem, we tried to register trademarks that were similar so we, we could continue with the goodwill of the name right. but had a point of difference and the, the one that I really wanted was Bentley 1962 so that was the year that we were founded um, and it was the name right. and, uh, and Bentley Motors opposed all these applications wow. um, and and it was during one of these ongoing applications uh, as you know they can last a year or a year and a half we were halfway through the procedure where we'd made a state, big statement with evidence, they'd made a big statement with evidence, and we each had a big statement and evidence to come. And we had a phone call from our lawyers, and they said, this is a bit embarrassing, but we can't act for you anymore. We act for them. Well, so, so it wasn't a case of you'd finished a case, and then you know, it turns out a couple of years down the line, they've swapped over. You were, you were halfway through your case, and the lawyers we were actually with, halfway through. And the lawyers jumped ship across to your competitors. Yep. Wow. The same office. The same office. And what went on to happen um, about 18 months down the line, short while down the line, um, Bentley Motors applied to register the trademark Bentley as a word. Um, and I was representing myself then. I looked through all the paperwork. And and I saw that the person who'd filed the application used to act for us against Bentley Motors. Wow. That's, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it must be it must be a strange situation to see that happen. You know, that kind of. I mean, how did you feel at the time? You must have felt quite. I mean, tell me how you felt. Um. Well, the key thing that you think is, obviously, this won't be allowed. Obviously. You know, they can't get away with things like this. Right. But nothing happened. Right. So apparently they can get away with things like that. But 
Um, so at this but but by this point you were now representing the business and if i understand correctly you went on and, and you did the hearings yourself i did three hearings it was they applied to they, after the conflicts over the new applications and the conflicts was blocking their applications um and with obviously had aggressive letters um in fact there was one letter which um it was it was during, it was during their, they, they instigated a multitude of cancellation applications on our trademarks. So the first one was a non-use cancellation application. And because we couldn't afford the expenses anymore, I mean, we've been financially, we've been very close to wiped out. Um, so we couldn't afford the fees anymore. So I took over handling the non-use action. Yeah. Um, so I, I did so I did the second statement and evidence myself, and then I did the hearing myself. Um, and how was and that we experience for you? Um, interesting. It's, it's nerve wracking because, um, as a non-expert, I mean, I've been learning on the go. As a non-expert, you you have a paranoia that there will be something, and you worry when you're dealing with a big company. You worry that perhaps they have. I don't know, connected there might be a crazy decision or or something that's perhaps accidentally biased in favour of the big company. You you worry that there'll be something that to you seems a deep injustice that will come up. And but it actually turned out okay. I have no complaints with any of the judges or the IPO decisions. Um in fact we've been very pleased with, with all of them. I don't mean the outcome we got the outcomes we would have expected, but the tone of, of uh, the hearing officers, the judges, I think they know the deal. Quite frankly, I don't think they were impressed with what Bentley Motors has done. Um, and uh, but it's the system that's let us down, right? Uh, not the decision, say, so you, the you, system. Because you'd won at this point at the IPO a couple of times. Mm. You know, you've wiped yeah. out. They've, they've applied and withdrawn because for whatever reason, you know, you've had to have mm. full-on battles with them at the IPO, and you've beaten them, yeah. and presumably. I mean, they but they didn't stop then. No, no, no sign of stopping. Um, we even tried mediation, and it was a complete joke. Um, I think, and I think anybody that uh, if you saw all the detail and the paperwork, I think you would think this has all been about making a case too expensive for us to afford. Yeah, that's the impression I have. I, it looks like they've just drawn it out every step of the way, hoping, that you'd not that we would just give up, but, they, pardon? Yeah, that's right, that we couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah, and that you'd have to give it up that way. But but you didn't. Yeah. You ended up suing them. That's right. And what, what, um, what happened? Well, um, the publicity that we got for the uh, some of the cancellation actions led to me coming across Fox Williams, and Fox Williams said, we think we could get funding for this. Now, the big radical change, which you will know and I know and lots, <laughs> most lawyers will know, is litigation funding barely existed n until recently. There, there's a market now in litigation funding which has which developed a lot, so it's available. If you have a case, you might be able to get funding, and that's what happened with us, is because there is litigation funding nowadays. In 2017, we could finally afford to sue. 
And if we could have afforded to sue in 2005, we would have. We would have done a deal. We would have been very happy to avoid a legal battle. We would have done a fair deal at any stage. Um, but because Bentley Motors wouldn't do a fair deal, we would have sued, but but we couldn't afford the fees. It so, was only in 2017. So what? So just just for those who haven't been involved in litigation funding, what what sort of is there anything you kind of have to give up uh, when you do litigation funding? How does it change the way that you run your cases? Well, there's there's a radical change because you've now involved a funder. And obviously, no funder is going to do this for fun. They will expect a return. Um, and the return, uh, obviously, isn't going to be pittance. So it means somehow the funder has to get uh, paid for the, for the case that they've, that they've funded. And um, so the costs to us, in a sense, have gone up uh, through the roof. Right. As you know, a high court action is very, very expensive. Absolutely. Um, so, so our funder had to put that most of that money up for us. And did it mean? I mean, I guess one of the thoughts I think some people might have is that if they've got a funder involved who is going to want to get their money back, that that's going to affect yeah. things like you know, whether you'd settle or whether you could settle or whether it's going to work or not. I mean, I don't want you to go into too many details, but was that ever an issue for you? Um, well, it it alters the scenario because there is. You've lost control, in effect, because now there's somebody else with a stake in the case. Um, so we don't have the full control that we used to have. And, and it means there are more parties expecting um, a monetary reward. And uh, so the whole situation has changed in that sense. But presumably, um, at the end it, of that, if you might get less of the pie. I guess if you know that's mm. what we're looking, but you might get you'll get that decision hopefully if that if it works that that they have to stop. Which I guess is that where you were coming from. Um, yeah, I mean, if, to be honest, we just had no alternative. That's the thing. We had absolutely our our choice was we either give up the brand that we have owned since 1990 and just give it up, or sign this deal um, because we'd had I mean it was made very clear to us by Bentley Motors that they would they would keep on attacking us until we had no trademarks left right. that was made very very clear to us uh, absolutely I mean I guess by that point you're close to 20 I mean what was it 98 you said is when that first came to where, you know when you first approached them so you 2017 you're getting on for 20 years of them just ignoring you and you know, fighting you at every turn by the sounds of it. It's, it's totally swamped our lives for a very, very long time. So since 2004, we've known and we've, in effect, been fighting since 2004. Um, in the High Court's uh, decision, I, I think it, uh, to extrapolate, it thought they'd not been honest since uh, 1998 and perhaps even earlier. Right. Um, so, uh, I I mean, I strongly suspect we were damaged before we even knew it. I think we would probably suffered damage that we're not aware of right. because word spreads. And of course, um, I guess the problem well is you've got fighting them. Is now you've mm. well, you've sued them. I guess, as, as you'll know, and people who are listening will, you know, may know, there's only a certain amount of time you can go back and get damages, isn't there? That's right, and that's one of the great injustices. And it's 
It's not that that should be changed. It's that it's taken so long. So the limitation period is six years. So the damages we'll be claiming are for a six-year period, right. which would be roughly, I think it's 2011. 2011. Yeah. So our damages will be claimed from 2011 to 2017. Mm. But what about what about all the years from 1998? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you wanted to just go back to when we were really trying to stop them, 2004. Mm. So, but we don't get anything for no. the time between 2004 and 2011, despite the fact that Bentley Motors in the court ties were not behaving honestly. In fact, I mean, what did the court say? That they were seeking to aggravate our goodwill right. and, and to extinguish our brand. So, so and we get nothing for those years. So when you went to court, presumably, you know, you've had all these years, you've got, you know, you've mentioned a couple of, a couple of names, a couple of personalities already uh, in the case. Mm-hmm. Presumably when you got to court, those, those, did they, did you get to cross-examine those guys? Did you have your day in court, you know, against people like Andrew Armitage? No, sadly not. And then that's been reflected on several times, both at the IPO also. Um, the IPO um, hearing officer reflected that despite being heavily involved in, in the, the scenario, Andrew Armitage um, didn't make himself available for the hearing at the IPO. And the hearing officer actually said that he would like to ask him questions, but of course he wasn't there. Um, now, when it came to the High Court, um, there was a section in the decision that was about the missing witnesses. And the High Court decision said there are people who could have um, perhaps explained why Bentley Motors have acted the way they've acted, uh, but they're not here. And the reason for that was uh, Bentley Motors' in-house lawyer, Justine Pridding, she was there, but she wouldn't be a witness. So she wasn't there to be asked questions, but she was in the room. Um, Andrew Armitage, who's been deeply involved for a very, very long time in dealings with us, um, he resigned, I think it was a month before the hearing. Um, He'd worked for Bentley Motors, I would imagine, for about 10 years or so. And he resigned one month before the hearing. Mm, curious. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, like the judge said, they, those people, and perhaps even the CEO, um, Adrian Hallmark, who um, appears to have been very involved in their expansion into other products. Um, that seems to be the case. Um, the the so you won, dishonest you period seems to... I mean, it sounds hmm? like you, you had a convincing win at the High Court and... Hmm? Was was that the end of it? Well, no. Bentley Motors then obviously appealed, so they went to the High Court and asked for permission to appeal. Right. The High Court judge denied all grounds to appeal, apart from one, which was the transitional provisions. Um, and he said he felt duty bound because it had never been tested at a high level. So he said he felt duty bound to let them appeal on the transitional provisions. So, now, so just to clarify. That, is that that's to do with that? If I remember rightly, they, they argued that they had been selling some items with the Mark Bentley on it prior to 1994. Is that right? Um, I'll get the dates. I think it was, yeah, that's right. 94 is when the transitional provisions yeah. kicked in, isn't it? Okay, so they um, said they were so selling yeah. before 94 and were and kept <clears> on selling items after 94. And so, if I remember rightly, they were suggesting that that meant they were allowed to keep selling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, um, but they were obviously disappointed that it was only the transitional provisions. 
So they went to the Court of Appeal, and the Court of Appeal allowed them to appeal on on a wider basis. So, but yeah, the transitional provisions, um, what they were saying was, um, we were selling, no evidence they were selling, there's evidence that they were uh, doing, if you like, marketing clothing, had pictures of clothing in brochures. We don't know exactly what they were doing with the clothing, but because they were doing stuff with clothing before 94, even though it was only very few lines and not with the trademark Bentley on them, uh, they were arguing that that meant they should be allowed to do any types of clothing and with the trademark on the clothing. Uh, and obviously the outcome was that both the High Court judge and the Court of Appeal judges thought that was um, a great stretch right. <laughs> and wouldn't be fair to any rightful trademark holder. Right. So so effectively now, and it's, so that part of the case, the appeal, you won yeah. the, well, they lost their appeal, you won the appeal, whichever way you want to look at it. And, and it's that, yeah. Have they appealed any more, or is that done now? Well, they intimated um, that they would, if they lost the appeal, um, which we suspect, they always thought they would lose the appeal. <laughs> I mean, it clearly wasn't a strong case. Um, they lost resoundingly. Um, they intimated, before the appeal decision, they intimated that if they lost, they, at first they said they might take it to the European court, and um, now I don't know if that's been affected by Brexit, because obviously it has an impact. Um, but then they intimated they might take it to the uh, Supreme Court, but then neither have happened, so uh, it looks very much like that's the end of it. They've intimated both in the media and to us now that, you know, they'll respect the decision, which is very nice of them, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Nearly 30 years later. Um, So so you must have had a lot of response from the public about this. You must have had a lot of support and people saying things. What's it been like? Um, we've had a fair bit of publicity, um, and I think um, some channels, I think, are, are actually, you can tell that they're on our side, and they should be. Um, I mean, the BBC, I think, I've spoke to quite a number of BBC journalists, and I think they are totally on our side, and I think they should be, and I'm, but I'm grateful. I, I know some very nice journalists now. Um, I'd like to think it reflects the public's interest in the main. I think it does. But the public often aren't they're not that interested in business things, and it might be a bit technical to a lot of people. So it's it's not the foremost thing in, in the public's minds. But I I think if we could really make them understand the story, then I think it could be. Um, and the story isn't about it's not about us. It's not about my family and our little business. It's about any ordinary family an ordinary smaller business, it's about them. Because what's happened to us could happen to anybody. And it must happen to other people. It can't just be us. Um, And there's something really, really wrong in a system that lets this happen. And that's that's a revelation. That's why it should be in the mainstream news. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I will say from from my point of view, I've seen it quite a lot. You know, companies who... I can imagine uh, you you know that you get threats of you get threats of infringement and you know bigger brands sometimes they'll look at those threats of infringement and they'll think well we're far bigger and they haven't got the money to sue and so we'll just keep going which I can know I mean I I, obviously I've never uh, worked with Bentley Motors I don't know any of their people but you know it sounds to me from the outside as if that's the mentality that they had 
Um, so, so, but so theoretically, though, you you know, is there possible that you know you're going to get a a, B, a BBC drama? Have you thought about who might play you? <laughs> we we are actually having. Um, there's a number of talks ongoing right now. Um, we have uh, a documentary proposal has been submitted by one producer to Netflix, um, and I am I am talking to a number of parties actually. But but film production and of any type, whether it's a, an active film or a documentary, is not something I know anything about whatsoever. Um, so. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, lots of people, as you know, Aaron, have said it's very film worthy. I think it's film worthy, and this is. I mean, you don't know a lot. As more comes out, this does a hell of a lot. So you're hoping for Brad Pitt, I would imagine. <laughs> I think he's too old. <laughs> <laughs> You'll probably get Danny DeVito. Maybe, maybe you can play my dad. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And so, and no. then, so, and so, for the brand, what's what's happening? What's the future for the brand? Are there plans for it? Well, we're talking to her. I mean, it's a slog now because obviously it's been trounced for 20 years. Um, but it, it is a genuine heritage brand. It's a British heritage brand. And it did do five million a year. And it was sold in Phoenix and House of Fraser. And I think we had three or 400 independent accounts. It was a very real, credible British heritage brand. Um what and we you? think we can get it. And what about you Me personally? Because you've got, clearly you've got a lot of fire in your belly about the way mm -hmm. that the legal system has, has treated uh, your company uh, or your co you know, yeah. over the years. I mean, is there, have you got plans to, to do something more on that, to become like a campaigner or an activist? Well, quite possibly. I mean, I've, I've, had, uh, I've had talks with the IPO um, and I've spoken to a number of people. I've been to various events. Right. Um, as you know, I've, I write an occasional article for some legal magazines, mm -hmm. um, particularly the trademark lawyer, who's been very nice to me. Um, and uh, I think this need, something needs to be done. Right. Um, and our, our complaint isn't with, it's not with the courts, it's not with the judges, it's with, um, there was, you may have seen um, the IPO was circulating a video they'd done recently, and it said, um, we worked in this group together with the police and trading standards um, and they, they'd done a video that was to help train police so that they would understand intellectual property law better and therefore might be in a better position to, um, you know, to enact the law when intellectual property is, is threatened. And, uh, and there was a group, it might have been the IP crime group, but it might have been another, I forget now. They were all included in the video. And, and I've sat in, I watched big companies and lobby groups of big companies. I've watched them lobbying civil servants. And, and obviously the reason why they're doing that is so that the law is enacted in their interests. And, and that obviously is why, you know, you get, uh, you're familiar with the Cheetah Mill area. Cheetah Mill in Manchester is famous for having uh, counterfeit goods. So if somebody was to set up uh, a warehouse in Cheetham Hill and start producing uh, jumpers that say Burberry, but they're not from Burberry, and they're selling those jumpers from the door of the premises, the police arrest those people and they get investigated. So that's when 
when a big company has its registered trademark used by by a teeny weeny company in Cheatham Hill, that company can get in very serious trouble if they found to have done something wrong. Yeah. So the interesting thing is, day. is anything ever done for a small company when when the big company is the one that may be doing something wrong? So in our case, and this is where, although you, you've seen cases yourself where clients of yours have perhaps been bullied, our case is absolutely extraordinary. And I think, I think you would say yourself, this is something so full on. Well, we weren't a new brand, or we weren't even a five-year-old brand. We were a very, very long-established brand, fully legitimate Bentley clothing brand. And I don't think it had ever, no one had ever wondered whether we were allowed to do that. It was entrenched in stone. <clears throat> Bentley Motors knew we were there, knew we had the registered rights, and they just started doing clothing anyway. Yeah. And they put the, the exact same trademark, deliberately put the exact same trademark on their clothing. Absolutely. Then they attached ticketing that seemed to claim to own the trademark. And of then they gave license. They'd already told them multiple times they'd had discussions. They couldn't pretend to not know who you were. They'd already, you know, you'd had meetings, face to face meetings. They were fully, fully aware of our rights. So. I'm familiar with the law now, as obviously you are as well. So I know that Section 92 says it might be a criminal offence if you use a registered trademark on the same products without the approval of the trademark holder. Absolutely. Well, Bentley Motors certainly used our trademark on the same products, and it wasn't without approval. But nobody seems to want to know. Um, I know that Section 95 of the Trademark Act says it can be a criminal offence to claim to own a trademark that isn't yours. Well, even the High Court decision has said there was a false claim of ownership. Yep, absolutely. And again, I guess from your so, point of view, where's, where's the, uh, you know, on who is this actually going to fall, personally or as a firm? You know, because from what you're yeah, saying, I mean, there's, it there's, was known at the highest levels what was happening. Yeah, we'd written to the CEO. I mean, I, I don't recall. I mean, it depends what you call mid-management. We didn't really deal with mid-managers particularly. We'd written to the CEO of Volkswagen, the CEO of Bentley Motors. Um, we'd spoken to one of the head in-house lawyers of Volkswagen, and the in-house lawyers of Bentley Motors several times. Um, you know, this doesn't this doesn't involve lowly people. This this is senior management, um, and they were all well aware of our rights. So how can they be allowed to do this to a small company? And if a small company did this to them, what would happen? Absolutely. What would happen if somebody set up um, a warehouse facility somewhere and started making cars that looked like a Bentley car and that said Bentley on the car and had a B in wings? What would happen to them? I suspect it's not just a rhetorical question. Well, exactly. I know the answer <laughs> because a company in America called Fugazi Cars made mock up things that you could make a car look like a Bentley car. Right. Bentley Motors sued them because they had the wherewithal to challenge them. But where, where's the help for, um, for a small company? Mm. And clearly, how on earth can a small company tackle a giant company, especially? 
before the, the growth of litigation funding, it wasn't possible. But we got no help, no help at all. And this is so flagrant that there was no help. No. And it didn't need to be us, it could have been anybody. Absolutely. Well, I guess the only well, I get light at the end of the tunnel is that you did get to that point. You've fought it through. You've won repeatedly. Um, and now sure. you've got that order that says they have to stop. And there, I yeah, imagine. I mean, that, but I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not the, the ending that you'd want. You'd want it to be able to stop a lot sooner. But it's, it's a pyrrhic victory, isn't it? At this stage, yeah. so we now have the job of turning around the brand. Um, yeah, absolutely. Are you still there, Aaron? I, I am still there. I'm still listening. Are you still there? <laughs> Did you hear the bleeping? No. All right, it was bleeping. No. Oh, well, just mine then. <laughs> um, no, um, yeah, we've, we've got to turn around the brand somehow. And I think we can because we do know companies that we've known for a very long time that are, that are interested in working with us. But it's, it's a slog that shouldn't have happened. It's been made much, much more difficult for us than it should have been. Um, and obviously we've lost 20 years. Mm. Um, so at this stage, it is just a pyrrhic victory, yeah. um, but at least it's that. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel angry and embittered that the system, as it stands, does not protect a small company. Um, and I've seen the effort they put in to protecting large companies. Mm. If a small company does the same thing to a large company, they will be in serious trouble. If a large company does the same thing to a small company, nothing happens. Mm. So and that can't be right. No, but it sounds as if the only... So if you were, if it was happening now, though, presumably if this had all started now, you'd have had that litigation funding and you'd have gone for it sooner, straight away, presumably, pretty much. Oh, absolutely. If, if that was... if Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. So I guess that... But we still would have tried to do a deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, no, it's, it's always... Sent, yeah, but then no deal. We would have sued. Yeah, um, but it just wasn't possible. So presumably now, if you if you, if some if you came across somebody who's in the same position, presumably you'd be like, right, get on the phone to the litigation funders and see whether or not this is something that can be covered. What's that, Aaron? Sorry. I said presumably if you if you came across somebody now in this in a similar position, your advice to them would be presumably go go and see a litigation funder and see whether or not there's a way through a way for you to get that funding from them. Yeah, that's, I mean, I would say, yeah, go to, hopefully they'll find a good lawyer. Right. Uh, hopefully the lawyer will be able to introduce them to a funder and uh, and and suing will be possible, um, obviously, with insurance and all the rest. Yeah, because um, there which, is an IP insurance, isn't there? But as I understand it, that didn't cover what, that didn't cover you. Is that right? We tried to get IP insurance, but I uh, forget the exact year, this is a long time ago. Um, but the insurer said that they wouldn't insure for anything that involved Bentley Motors because Bentley Motors had begun to use our trademark. Right. So the insurer said that we consider that after the event insurance right. and we're not going to do it. Um, so we couldn't get IP insurance because Bentley Motors is already... I mean, it's like squatting, isn't it? It was like, you know, <laughs> it was like uh, someone broke into your house while you're on holiday and they're living in the house, and now you're not allowed to get them thrown out because they're already in. Yeah. Bentley Motors had began to use our trademark, so we couldn't get the insurance. Right. 
Right. Gosh. Well, Chris, hopefully this is now getting into the at least the final furlong or the final part of the final furlong on your battle against um, Bentley Motors. Um, I, I know you've got probably still got a few more steps uh, to go to get that completely tidied off. And then I guess yeah. the future for you. So that's, that's you know, hopefully, you know, good, uh, hopefully going to work well for you in the future. Um, so I guess the final thing to ask is if people want to connect to you, want to connect with you and, you know, hear about more what's going on um, with the brand and with you, how would they, how would they do that? Where could they find you? At the moment, I think LinkedIn is the best part, actually. And if they find me on LinkedIn, um, okay. I, uh, that's where I make most of my connections and, and talk to people. Okay. There's some interesting things happening on LinkedIn. Okay. Well, what we'll do is we'll put your, uh, if you don't mind, we'll put your details uh, of your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so that uh, people who want to find you and connect to you can do that. Is that okay, Chris? Yeah, that's fine. Aaron. Okay, great. Well, look, at that point... I'm going to thank you so much for your time. I mean, it's an absolutely intriguing story. I mean, I've known about it for a while and I hope that by you know, even more people becoming aware of it, they will you know, know about your brand, about what's happened with the with the Bentley Motors brand. And also, I guess they'll have some idea as to, you know, if they know other people are in a similar boat, what they can do to you know, solve their own problems. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review and subscribe. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes for more details of how to work with my guests or me. And of course, don't forget to take advantage of any offers mentioned in the episode. Now, until next time, bye-bye.